bless you for being an angel just when it seemed that heaven was not for me hey hello and welcome to drunk church and today we're talking about the classic erotic film secretary what are your thoughts aurora my thoughts what's your history with secretary like when did you first see it oh my god i think in my early 20s and honestly it didn't really leave that much of a mark i think it was like on television yeah i I watched it and i think thought very little of it i was kind of surprised actually that you picked this despite the like obvious kink themes yeah, I was really surprised. So you tell me your history with this, because I feel like it's going to be more interesting. You're going to convince me to fall in love with this film or something like that. Well, I have a very brief history. Somehow, I didn't watch Secretary until like a month ago when I was in my most recent trip to spend time in Texas with my daddy. And yeah, we watched it and it was just one of the most romantic films I've ever seen. (laughs) I just hate romantic comedies. I think romantic comedies are like one of the most like busted genres, just so bad and like all about a reproduction of the family and just, I really dislike them almost always. This is also just a problem with comedies, like anything that isn't a horror comedy, usually it's pretty grim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um (laughs) I feel like I found my romantic comedy. (laughs) But I had already read the Mary Gatskill short story from her 80s collection, A Short Story's Bad Behavior. So I had read that a while back, and then I reread it to refresh for this episode too. Yeah, so I related to it a lot. I think like you should not go to fiction to get a manual for living like there are absolutely and I think that's the thing like you hear things about secretary that basically come down to like you know like how unethical and like how you know that's like abuse or assault which is like true you know like if those things happened in real life then it would a hundred percent be abuse but also it's partially, and I think this is a big place where the movie and the short story differ, is that the movie is about how the failures of the family and society are so constraining and that there's such limited narrative, such limited freedom about what you can do. And then through this relationship, through this like complete power exchange, is actually a gaining of her power to make her own decisions around how she wants to live her life. But then the short story does not have any of the romantic subtext. Like Mary Gatskill talked about the movie as being the pretty woman version of her short story. It's still about the secretary being like very turned on in these like unexpected ways. But then it turns into a scandal. After she gets fired, she just stays fired. And he eventually gets into the scandal about having like abused all of these different women. Do you want to just talk about the film first? Uh, sure. We can talk about the film. Man, I think there's something wrong with my um, my brain right now. Just like none of my pleasure centers are lighting up the way that they're supposed to. <laughs> Aww, babe. 
is so depressing. I'm trying to get amped up. Let's see. Honestly, the thing that stood out the most to me, or the thing that was like the funniest, was when she started trying to place her own ads to find people that were kinky. Or when she was trying to figure out what S&M was. That, mm-hmm. that to me, was the cheekiest and the funniest part of the film. Yeah, it wasn't just about finding someone who was kinky or like non-traditional. <laughs> the point was desire can be a whole bunch of different things. And uh, you, yeah, you can't just find anyone online. Like I was just saying how romantic comedies, you know, one of the things that I dislike about them, that they generally like reinscribe the family. Mm-hmm. And how like one of the really best things about this film is how it points out the failings of the family. So like at the very beginning, name's Lee Holloway. She gets out of intake. She was committed for a while and it's because she like cut herself really severely, which we'll eventually learn that she's been cutting herself her entire life. But this time she didn't mean to cut that deep, but she just accidentally cut herself too deep. And so was found out in committed. But at least when she was committed, things were easy. Things were standard and expected. But then when she gets out, she's immediately has to attend her sister's wedding, you know, which is this big, ridiculous affair. And her dad's getting too drunk and has a fight with the mom. All of these obvious problems of abuse and alcoholism. And also a feeling that she's just going to re-perpetuate or really has like no choice but to re-perpetuate that same pattern. So then there's some boy, Peter, that she went to school with who she's kind of reintroduced to and sort of starts dating. And he just is weird and sucks. Um, (laughs) And uh, He's also just not attractive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, So then she's a typist. She um, took typing classes and was and scored incredibly high. And so then she gets a job through a personal ad, which I think is especially fun given the BDSM context, to Mm -hmm. just to be a secretary for this lawyer. So what do you think of our uh, E. Edward Gray? Um, I love that actor. He always picks up really interesting roles i Mm -hmm. think it's a funny coincidence that his name is gray (laughs) you know it is really funny yeah you'd think that they would be a little bit more creative when coming up with the names of the the male leads Uh, but i guess like gray or steel isn't steel like a name of a like similar character oh that's a different one or maybe maybe that's like the name of the author for a different role i don't know It's boring, yeah. boring names. But I don't know. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think James Spader is so funny. He was one of the stars of like Crash, like Cronenberg's yes. Crash, and and Secretary. <laughs> so like two of the like best erotic films of all time. But then since like 2013, like the only things really on his filmography have been he's been like the star of The Blacklist, which is like some. <laughs> sort of detective show for like I don't know boomers <laughs> and then was like the voice for some villain in the Avengers I just I mean obviously he's probably making fuck tons of money and so whatever like mm-hmm. good for him but it's just funny with the beginning of his career You're like what happened to him well he got old <laughs> Aww. Um, 
I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess we'll never know what happened to him. Maybe he got conservative. I feel like that's usually what happens. That's usually why the hot, interesting actors who do really cool stuff when they're just starting off, they like have a change of heart and then suddenly start doing weird, boring stuff. Yeah, yeah, I hope I hope that's not the case. That would be sad. Like Secretary is the film that in these like kind of mainstream or mainstream kink accounts, like kind of straight focus accounts mm -hmm. talk about, you know, Secretary being like not consent focused, a bad representation. And it's like, what is bad representation? Like <laughs> what is bad representation? And I mean like the thing that is so interesting about this film is that it's about deeply repressed people who happen to really see each other like oh, see yeah. the essence of one another and what the other wants in this like really profound way and then actually being able to like give that to each other there's mm -hmm. a potential horror to that right mm -hmm. it's also like you could certainly see how like the shitty boss at a company that like sexually harasses the employee, you know, would be like, oh, you know, I know because she wants it. Like, I know that secretly. And like, that is the fantasy. But the thing is, she actually does want that. And they both mutually coerce each other at different points in the film to continue on mm -hmm. in their arrangement, which for listeners very quickly descends into a BDSM relationship starting when he sort of realizes that she is cutting. And so then it becomes the super eroticized thing about her having to get the letters 100% correct. And then her kind of like being punished if she doesn't or being yelled at. But then after this like life of kind of neglect from her family and like this sense of not being seen, not being understood, having to be pushed through despite never really being seen in any real way she feels like paid attention to that all of the things about her matter and that that is a huge fantasy right and I think that's certainly also something that starts real abusive dynamics but it's also it's also something that is really beautiful and be I think that the film does a really good job at showing how there's different ways of feeling cared for so her family superficially cares for her and they're superficially doing all these things to kind of support her and this is something that both the short story and the film share but that the kind of care that she wants the kind of ways that she wants to be seen don't follow the kind of expectations or don't, doesn't fit into the way that her family sees her or tries to care for her or tries to support her even though the way that they're trying to support her is like really reductive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think it also comes back like looking at, you know, the divide between like the need to understand inner experience, like after she's been pathologized and then after her family has this like culture of secrecy where they like don't really talk about anything important when Edward Gray like notices her cuts and then eventually decides to like confront her about it he says why do you cut yourself lee and she says i don't know is it that sometimes the pain inside has to come to the surface and when you see evidence of the pain inside you finally know you're really there then when you watch the wound heal it's comforting isn't it 
that's a way to put it. So there's like this real sense of inner shared experience of this thing that is like really intensely meaningful and healing to her (laughs) that she uses to cope with her like fucked up family that has only been pathologized and turned away and instead is like recognized for exactly what it is. And then not only that, and then he he tells her that like, from now on, you're never going to cut yourself again. So it, it's that ability from the outside and the recreation of this new dynamic that allows her to like stop that behavior. Mm-hmm. And then she's told to walk home and instead of getting a ride from her mom, because her mom is just like also pathetic and like has nothing really going on in her life. And so just like waits for her adult daughter outside for hours to like get out of work Mm. um there's this constant showing of how the you know the ritualized bdsm practices that they're doing are done in these non-consented to unconscious ways by all of the normal people around them right like Mm -hmm. sitting through these monotonous rituals that they don't want to be a part of and that they feel like they have no choice in and because they have nothing else going on. Mm. That was, I thought, a really beautiful scene when she throws her sewing kit. So that's what she was using to cut herself and she throws it over the bridge and just sort of (laughs) the look of serenity on her face as she's walking. It was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, so when I was watching that, I I was like, oh, it's a waste of a good blood play. (laughs) because yeah they replaced you know the cutting with with like spanking which is fine i guess but yeah it's like maybe you could you know figure out ways to maintain that but you know that's just my thing this is actually something that i don't know how to talk about this just because it's always so risky like i'm so fucking paranoid (laughs) um everything's always a risk so how BDSM often gets framed as abuse. People are like, it's harm, it's like physical harm, it's pain, it's consenting to a kind of dynamic that one can't consent to because power is bad. So all of these really surface level critiques. So it's interesting that they include the theme of self-harm because BDSM is, I think, often understood or critiqued as being a form of self-harm. And something Mm -hmm. that I've noticed, like with our confessions or with some people that I know, is that they deny themselves the thing that they want because they think that it's bad for them. And something that's, I think, a really complicated tension that might be worth us discussing is that line between fantasy and a kind of self-actualizing flirtation with these dangerous and complicated power dynamics. I'm thinking of how, for so many people, the idea of leaving marks, of cutting yourself, of hurting yourself, of like hurting someone else is can only ever be bad, can only ever be some kind of abuse. And how mm-hmm. there could be a universe where they interrogated the fact that she was harming herself and were able to reframe it in a way that it was something that she actually took pleasure from. But I don't think that the world is there yet. I don't think that, like, Hollywood could make a film where there was blood play outside of 
vampires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that her cutting is a coping mechanism. So she cuts when she like can't handle life. And I think that like I have also had impulses when I've been having a really, really hard time where I've like just like while like crying, like ask my partner to like hit me. And it's like, I don't think that that is the most healthy impulse because you're not actually like addressing the actual thing. It's a pure survival tactic, right? And I think that's what cutting is for a lot of people. It's a survival tactic. And so the idea of taking, of having it be something for you or for pleasure or, you know, for like self-actualization, like that's not in the picture because it's something to survive with the world that you're currently existing in. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when I do blood play, like the majority of the time with, with needles or you know scalpels, whatever, that is, it's a very planned thing. It's not something that I'm doing because I'm like in huge emotional distress and I just want to like put off those feelings because I don't have a place to process them safely. Mm -hmm. And they do give me a lot of like catharsis and they they make me feel really good in a lot of different ways, but they're not just like keeping my head above water. I think that would be probably one of the biggest differences. Mm Mm-hmm. I also wonder if there's something more complicated with, for lack of better words, negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement or what the punishing is doing. So punishing as positive reinforcement. So punish me, daddy, I want it. (laughs) Um, Versus punishing, punish me, I don't want it. I hate myself. I deserve all these terrible things. Mm -hmm. So... I wonder if that might also be part of it. So yeah. yeah, that's a big, big question. Yeah, that was one of the holes that I fell down when I was thinking through the films of, or thinking through the themes of this film. So I was thinking about the question of harm and why they did add that element of the self-harm because it's no, nowhere in the short story. And I wonder if it might have been a necessary mm-hmm. plot device yeah. in order to package the film for a, a more general audience so for them to be like well this is the bad kind of hurting and harm and this is then the good kind mm-hmm. um, this is the healing and nice beautiful one yeah which is curious i also spent a lot of time thinking about fantasy and thinking about power dynamics so when fantasy does and doesn't work what kind of power dynamics still work for me i should say <laughs> I did a mm-hmm. a little self-interrogation. Yeah. <laughs> when she's walking home and she's talking about, you know, how it's the first time she's ever walked home and says, I felt held by him as I walked alone. I felt he was with me. At the same time, I was feeling something was growing in Mr. Gray, an intimate tendril creeping from one of his darker areas, nursed on the feeling that he had discovered something about me. The next day, I didn't even bring my cuticle scissors and iodine but I did make another taping mistake. And so already within this relationship, she's replaced this discipline and like submission to Gray with her compulsion to cut. I want to circle back to what made this film super romantic for you. So what does romance mean? God, okay. So part of it is that it's partially a fantasy about 
like really being seen by another person, right? Like the thing that is most meaningful to me to have this like part of incredibly vulnerable part of the self, like really understood by another person. And even though it's completely like incomprehensible by like lots of the people around you and even like abhorrent or whatever, Mm -hmm. and that they're kind of like alternately disgusted at themselves by it right at one point he entirely just starts treating her like a normal lawyer (laughs) and uh so she's like am i i can't tell if i'm a normal secretary now and it's like this huge loss and i mean the problem is is that the fantasy is that they have created this thing that like feeds both of them in this really deep way even though they have communicated very badly right mm-hmm. because it's like it's not <laughs> they that they, they at all <laughs> i know it's, it's not that they've like negotiated they're like they're, they do not have any of that fucking shit down so it's like it just so happens that's always a fantasy right it, that you have someone who just you know who just gets you and like makes it happen and of course if you actually take that in real life two people not communicating especially like in like a fucking professional setting it's always going to be fucking abuse it's just that's yeah you know the reality like (laughs) um i was also thinking about again like what makes a fantasy a fantasy and like what makes those dynamics workable or unworkable or when do they become more or less hot and i think that this I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Like, it's hot because it's a fantasy. It would be terrible if that was happening in real life. <laughs> oh my god, maybe that's too polemic. I just think no, about, yeah. for example, I think my. <laughs> I think a lot of fantasies are like that. I think about like my position as an instructor at a university, and I think about how that is such a fetish. It is such a fetish to like go into office hours and seduce the professor for the professor to like have a teacher's pet but it's just i can't think of anything that is less sexy (laughs) for me personally (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah i can't think of anywhere that i would want to have sex less than in my office or like with a student like it, it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter if (laughs) <laughs> like i think of the the shitty furniture and in my tiny little windowless box and it's awful fluorescent lighting <laughs> uh and if if ever if ever as like a student had come in and just like kind of was like oh like i didn't do too well on this paper like can i make it up to you like i would probably just start crying or start or like run away in horror <laughs> but that's probably hot to someone who isn't an instructor at a university like <laughs> because it's novel it's it's novel it's it is a fantasy Versus, like, if that was a reality, it would be a terrible reality. But I also can't think of anything hotter than, like, to, I don't know, um, <laughs> uh, should I start, like, delving into my fantasies? I can't think of anything hotter than a lot of the things that I can't have. So, like, I would love to have sex in a hospital. Like, that's hot. But I'm not in a position to have sex in a hospital. If I ever was in a position, I would probably start to recognize the things that make that not hot, you know? Um, But that's just my opinion. My opinion means very little. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think 
people actually wanting to do a thing and people having a fantasy of the thing or not do not always line up and and often yeah. do not line up in any tangible way mm-hmm. and I think it's the exception for them to actually line up I even think of something like like a workplace crush or just any kind of crush sometimes where there is a huge power differential and sometimes like the crush has at least for me has gone away when the other person shows interest then it's just like nah it's <laughs> it was only hot when i couldn't have it and now it was just kind of weird but again that's just mm-hmm. me yeah yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. but i don't know what do you think what has been your experience i definitely think that's true for a lot of people i mean certainly like the more extreme things that i like play out in scenes right mm-hmm. like i wouldn't actually want a stranger to do any of those things to me I only want it because it's this person I know and trust doing it to me you know Mm -hmm. even if the fantasy may be that a stranger is doing it to me or whatever so in that sense but I also think I don't like public sex isn't super my thing like and not even in fantasies because it's like (laughs) I have an anxiety (laughs) disorder like that just doesn't sound (laughs) like if I want to have you know like public sex I want to have it in a like play party I don't want to like be in like some place that just like sounds unpleasant to me and um (laughs) and it's like yeah and like the times I've had sex in the you know in the woods like semi-public even I'm just like "Mm, I don't know Mm. Um, it Mm. just it feels stressful yeah Um, (laughs) someone's gonna walk up this trail any second I know it (laughs) yeah I don't yeah, I don't have a problem with public sex. Hmm. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I great. I guess I'm lucky. I'm lucky in that way, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I do think that something that makes the film so hot or something that also affects the dynamic, or at least really affected my interpretation of the dynamic, was the structure of the office. So just how it looked like the colors the furniture it just was like entering into a fantasy land versus Mm -hmm. every other aspect of her life or everywhere else where she was so like she's she goes on a date they're on a date in a laundromat like her and her like kind of schleppy dude that she's dating boyfriend yeah yeah (laughs) they hang out in a laundromat and so that kind of ugly reality versus the like sexy fantasy of the office where the flip happens immediately so it's real life and it's her time off that's monotonous or that is unpleasant for her in all these different ways as soon as she enters the office just something shifts something changes and that was really Mm -hmm. signaled which is how everything looks yeah totally it's so interesting how they do a great job at gesturing at sexual harassment throughout the whole thing. Like there's mm-hmm. this one scene where she's with her sister and a few of her sister's friends. And, you know, they're just like gossiping about different things. And so like Lee says, my lawyer is representing a woman who's suing her boss for sexual harassment. Jessica, is he a good lawyer? Lee closes her eyes and moans. He's the best. <laughs> So, like, yeah, like, she fully has the concept of sexual harassment, knows, is directly involved through supporting her boss in this claim of sexual harassment. 
but then also is like actively fantasizing and is having this relationship that if she was not into it would 100% be sexual harassment. Yeah, I just think that's very, very interesting. It's a very nuanced film. Also, when she eventually gets fired for the first time, it's after she is like, thinks she's a normal secretary. So she does this like big gesture by like taking a dead worm and, and putting it in the middle of a letter. And then they have this whole like really extravagant scene where the boyfriend even comes up during that time and she has to like talk to him and tell him she can't come out right now like while she's getting spanked it's really informative that this is the first time that she's told to take down her like pantyhose and panties and so she's like entirely naked and gray is like you don't think i'm going to fuck you do you like don't worry i have no interest in fucking you and then proceeds to like masturbate basically (laughs) and come on her um (laughs) But within that scene, in the short story, the word that is used is rape, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very informative, where, like, you don't think I'm going to rape you, do you? And I think even within the context of the film, that is the most straightforwardly disturbing scene, where she is so taken aback. But then after that, he immediately freaks out, smashes all of her pictures, and fires her by saying, like, why are you firing me? It's your behavior. It's very bad. <laughs> and then for the first time, she, you know, evokes an attempt at a safe word, because of course they don't have safe words, where she says, like, time out, you're fired, and smacks him. There's this huge feeling of loss, right? There's this attempt at this relationship that neither of them had words for and these desires that they're both fulfilling for each other but then that's coded as like extreme violation and disgust Mm -hmm. and also the movie has her re-remember the last secretary before her like leaving with all of her stuff Mm -hmm. um and also having like the letter in her mouth and so it's like this has happened before and then this is like a pattern where he like enforces these rules puts his desires on these women like and obviously he's doing it with other women likely some of them are not into it and then he you know like freaks out and fires them which is a discarding through his own self-disgust with his own desires Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, really really fucked up and really sad yeah something that i also want to highlight is the logic of when he says, don't worry, I'm not going to fuck you. And then he masturbates. And like in the sh- short story, he comes on her. It's unclear. Like, but but he did fuck her. Like that that's what that is. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I mean. Man logic. It's I, well, like that. But, I, <laughs> but it's also just normative sex logic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like most people think about sex that way. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's for me. Like I just uh, internally scream now when people think that of like things. Oh, this doesn't count. <laughs> it's like that was a sex, <laughs> a sex happened. Yeah. But yeah, the normative sex logic. I'm curious about how you read the normative sex logic because it takes a long time for them to consummate, and then like the consummation makes their relationship real. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a shame. 
Yeah, that's entirely fair. Yeah, let's talk about the lead up to it. Because this Mm -hmm. is the best scene in the film by far. Just fucking amazing shit. I love this shit so much. And this is the part that's like incredibly fucking romantic to me. Like, Jesus (laughs) Christ. Unbearable. She first tries to, you know, meet up with these random people through the newspaper. So there's like... One who tried to grab and pinch my nipples before we even made it to the car. Another guy kept ordering me to pee on his patio. And when I refused, he said, I thought you were a masochist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then there was the one who liked being tied to a gas stove while the burners were on full blast and I had to throw tomatoes at him. (laughs) That was one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) So fucking funny. The look on her face when she's throwing them and she's like kind of, she's kind of cringing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) incredible and and the guy's just like thank you Um, (laughs) and then that all leads up to peter the schleppy guy proposing marriage in the basement of the jc pennies and she says i think i said yes because i didn't know what else to do so again she's back in this narrative frame where she can't actually follow her own desires because she's just caught up there's no one else for her that's like presenting anything different or she's pressured into it because she's led to believe that that's the kind of life that she deserves because of how her family treats her. Like the first person that she actually connects with and actually is able to open up to ends up totally defacing their relationship, like rejecting their relationship out of his own shame. So she's just like so lost. That was really, really sad. That made me think yeah. a lot about myself and about like, oh, she accepts the life and the love that she thinks that she deserves. <laughs> And it's with someone with really terrible facial hair. Oh no, Aurora. <laughs> I draw the line at facial hair. <laughs> uh, wow. But yeah, okay. So the incredible scene on her wedding day, she's all in her wedding dress. And then she like decides, fuck it and runs past everyone, gets in the car, and goes to the law office, comes in still in her wedding dress, past the new secretary, says, I have something to say to you, I love you. And he's like, we can't do this 24-7, seven days a week. And she's like, why not? And then he tells her to put both your hands on the desk, palm down, keep both of your feet on the floor until I come back. And so she does that. She 100% does that and just like sits planted and like. um, She assumes the position. She assumes the fucking position. And then he leaves and proceeds to basically like test the limits of that. He calls the fiance and like tells him where she is. So then he comes and says, what are you doing? I don't know what the deal is with this. And Lee says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And says, you are trespassing. You are making an unwarranted incursion, a gradual or stealthy entrance into the square of another. Peter says, are you doing something sexual right now? He says, does this look sexual to you? (laughs) Um, Which is so fantastic. And so, you know, like Peter tries to like drag her away and she screams and immediately like flails away and fights with everything she can to like make it back to that spot and put her hands back down. And so he eventually leaves and then there's this parade of all of these different people in her life telling her all of these different things. Like this one old guy who's like, you know, Lee, there's a long history of this in Catholicism. That's <laughs> about this. And 
And like this really great scene where one of the women, I don't even know the relationship to her in her life, comes in and is like, I'm just going to leave you with this literature. Why don't you read about women's struggle first? And so it's just like this huge pile of like books about feminist liberation. And there definitely is this sense of like, how can you choose this, right? Like, how can you, you're betraying all women, right? But then there's just these moments in the sequence that are so like, she goes for for days it's like I I think like three days and at one point her dad who was an alcoholic now he's a recovering alcoholic after being on the streets that was another little side plot he comes in and, and reads you are the child of God's holy gift of life you come from me but you are not me your soul and your body are your own and yours to do with as you wish and Lee smiles and says thank you daddy And that's, again, the first time that I think she's ever felt seen by her family. Mm -hmm. And also during this time, I I think it's it's really fascinating that Gray, like, he's often watching her from the window behind the office. (laughs) But when he does go home, like, he won't lay on the bed like he sleeps on the floor. Like, he's also kind of doing, like, this this kind of self-denial. Yeah. And then he comes in and walks in like while she's like basically passed out she's like peed herself and stuff you know been sitting in this wedding dress for like three days whatever three days and, three and her days. mother berates her about the status of the wedding dress mm-hmm, absolutely yeah which is oh, like, so good yeah that she like literally soils the wedding dress uh, out of like a mark of this love it's so good mm-hmm. fucking love and the, that shit like after the mother also <laughs> body shames her too Right? Anyway, but yeah, fuck that wedding dress. <laughs> no, tell, tell me more about that. I don't... Well, because it's the mother's wedding dress, and I think there is something very symbolic about how ill-fitting it is. Like, it's not zipping up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Earlier, it's not zipping up, for sure. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, well, like it's when she first enough. gets into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I must have been smaller when I was your age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus. And then the mother... When she comes and visits her, like all she cares about is that dress. And she's like, you better make sure that that's clean when I get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, paint us this beautiful scene where they reconcile. God, yeah. Holy fucking shit. So she's like fucking passed out, like on the desk, has still kept her hands flat down. And he comes and, you know, lifts her face up and brings her this like chocolate milkshake. And then picks her up, you know, in her wedding dress, like her soiled wedding dress. And then walks her out, like, out of the law office and, like, down. And he's, like, prepared this whole elaborate thing where he, he like, prepared this bed that's, like, grass. It's kind of unclear. Um, <laughs> uh, like, it's like they're fucking outside, basically, but, like... But inside. <laughs> but, but it's inside. And, like, bathes her, like, really tenderly and, like, washes her hair And she says, in one way or another, I've always suffered. I didn't know why exactly, but I do know that I'm not so scared of suffering now. I feel more than I've ever felt. And I found someone to feel with, to play with, to love, in a way that feels right for me. I hope he knows that I can see that he suffers too, and that I want to love him. And God, it's just so fucking beautiful. And yeah, just one of the best scenes in film 
honestly. Oh, oh really? Um, That's a strong claim. Well, well, most romantic, not best fit, not best scenes. But like, I okay. don't, I don't find many things in many films like that romantic. Like, it's it's relatively rare, you know. Mm-hmm. But like, this hit everything for me. And like, when I was watching mm-hmm. it with you know my daddy, like we were like, oh my god, this is us. But then also when they're laying down, you know, she has all these cuts because she's like been cutting her whole life and says each cut each scar each burn a different mood or time i told him what the first one was i told him where the second one came from i remembered them all and for the first time in my life i felt beautiful finally part of the earth i touched the soil and he loved me back mm-hmm. and so there's just this real sense of this ultimate acceptance of who they are and and then it ends up they get married like by eloping and they like fuck in the woods where she's like tied up to a tree and they're back to their life and he goes to work and she's now at home and she specifically takes a this dead cockroach that she has like stashed away and puts it very neatly on like the perfectly pristinely made bed and they make together so she'll be punished when she when he comes home and, and there's this real idea of what does it mean to want that? What does it mean to, to seek out desire when that is the thing that makes you happy? Mm, yeah, yeah. Bless you for being an angel Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me Bless you for building a new dream Just when my old dream crumbled so hell 